Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and I'm going to say Happy New Year to everyone for this particular episode. And how are you today, Chris? I'm good. Happy New Year to you, Jody, and Happy New Year to all our listeners. How oh, yeah. has your year started off? So far, so good. A couple of yeah. nice days of skiing, just kind of relaxing a little bit, and getting ready to get right back into things starting yeah. soon. <laughs> Me too. Mine is the skiing. Yes. So yeah, we're, we're having some rain in LA, which means chaos everywhere. There you are. That's the way it happens. Right? Chaos is not personified until you've got a two-way street that's as wide as a one-way street right here in front of the house. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Duly noted. What are we talking about today? Referencing mixes while you're mixing some music. That's also my known understanding. As Reference mixes. Yes. Right? Yeah. Are you using them? From time to time. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, about the same. From so time to time. I, I don't use yeah, I don't use them all the time. It's every once in a while. It's not like I said, it's not something I do in every mix, but sometimes it just helps me keep track of where I'm going. If I have if I'm struggling with a mix, if I'm struggling to get somewhere uh -huh. and it's not coming together, that's the way I might pull something out. So would you define that as being a good idea to use them? I th I'm going to play both sides of the coin here, and it's going to sound like I'm talking about two sides of my mouth, which I possibly am. So is this like heads you win, tails I lose? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm possibly even more confused right now. No, I, I do think it's a good idea to use reference mixes if it's a style that we're not comfortable mixing in. If we're trying to do something a little bit outside of our scope of what we do on the daily, perhaps. Also, I think it's a good thing if we're new to mixing or mm -hmm. relatively new to mixing where it can steer us in the right direction type of a thing. Where I think it's not a necessity is I think we can easily put too much emphasis on the reference mix and sort of overthink it when we're mixing, perhaps. Do you have like a specific time frame when you stopped using them dramatically? You know what? I never really did it from the get-go. Mm -hmm. I, I remember something that George Leger told me one time because mm -hmm. I think I was asking him about this a long time ago. And he said, no, I, I just kind of trust my ears. Yeah. And the idea that he knew what he was listening for and had – heard so much music over the years that, that he didn't feel the need to do that. So I, I guess I kind of took that to heart. That might not have been the best decision at first, <laughs> but, but there you go. It wasn't until later that I started adopting it and kind of seeing how you can get stuff to translate a little bit better, perhaps. Gotcha. So it wasn't like a point. Mm -hmm. When we touch on some of the gear later on today, I'll, I'll mention one thing where it really became important to me to do it for that particular project. But sure. Yeah, what about you though? You said they use it from time to time. So when's the case when you might do it? There are two instances. One is if I'm in a new room that I am not familiar with, I will use mm -hmm. songs that I am very familiar with to kind recalibrate well. my ears, so to yeah. speak. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then the second time is if I have an artist or a song brought to me that, as you mentioned, is maybe not something I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And I have to get a reference to what does this need to sound in the ballpark of, right? sonically speaking. 
Yeah. And those are the two instances. Yeah. As we started there to mention it later, but there's kind of like two ways that I think about when we're using a reference mix and why it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the first thing would be obviously to reference a mix that we really like the sound of. Oh, yeah. That's appropriate for the track that we're working on or album that we're working on. And then another way would be to, like in my case, I was mixing an album for an artist that was recorded spread out over a few years. Oof. So it wasn't like everything was recorded at once, like all the drums weren't done at once and all this kind of stuff. So things right. were, let's say, a little bit all over the place sonically. Right? <laughs> not not too bad, but you know what I mean? And I used reference mixes for that when this artist had like, okay, I'm good with this mix. Mm -hmm. right? So then I used that mix as a reference when it was going off of the other tracks of that album to sort of make sure that you stay in the ballpark sonically there. That's something that I found very useful where otherwise if you hear a song that might work in a completely different direction, but it would sound so out of place on an album like that. Right. right. So then you really get the idea like, yeah, this was probably done over a five year span, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of like uh, throwing some spaghetti at the wall and seeing which songs will stay there. Yeah. So when do you use them? You said that you use them if it's an area that a music that you might not be comfortable with, but anything else that you kind of like, why you would reach for that for a reference mix? If there is a particular vibe from a song that is out there that I really dig, and I don't mean just like the groove or something of that nature, but the sonic juiciness. There's that term. And there's one in a list of songs that I'm going to give later in the podcast that the bass on that song, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that studio and mixing environment for when they did it because the way they got that bass to come out just makes me cream in my pants every time I hear it because it is so awesome. Well, and I'm so. still not able to achieve that particular sound per se, and I would love to know how they did it. But I use well, it probably, sometimes as a reference for getting the bass in that ballpark. Right. That's probably a good thing you can't recreate it because then you'd be sitting in your studio <laughs> creaming your pants all the time, right? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in that idea, it, similar to what you're saying, is using it to recalibrate so to speak, getting the focus of the song where it needs to be. And sometimes it's for the whole overall mix, and sometimes it's for one instrument if I need to use it for a particular sensibility of what I'm doing. Absolutely. It's like the, the overall balance, perhaps, of instruments, but then it could also be, you know, how loud is the kick, how loud is the snare, those, those mm -hmm. main parts of the track, right? Other things to uh, think about is, as you're listening is the panning of how they've hand the instruments in it and any particular movement they've got going on. Yeah. Those kind of things, generally speaking, require different kinds of listening when you're doing it, not just to passively listen, but to actively listen. Yeah, I agree. Other things I would listen for would be sort of use of reverbs and things and how loud are they? Are they, is the mix really dry? Is the vocal drenched in reverb or is it really in your face those kind of things that mm -hmm. that at a casual listening we might not pick up on but if you really sort of drill down into what the song does and sometimes it could be 
revealing that, wow, that's a lot more reverb than I thought or what have you. Yep. Those are things that I tend to listen for as well. When it comes to choosing reference tracks, mm-hmm. what do you think is the primary thing? The primary thing? The primary thing in choosing one, yeah. Is it in the same... I hate this stupid term, but I've already used it today. Is it in the same ballpark of the style of the song I'm going for? That's usually the best modus operandi, so to speak, for people when they're referencing a track. Now, do I always do that? No. And I specifically mentioned there's a song for the bass that I really dig. I don't care what genre if I need to get a nice sculpted bass sound like this particular track, I'm going to pull that track up just to listen to it anyway. Yeah, that that's the same for me. It's like it's you have to obviously have something that will have to. You don't have to, but if you want a good result, you should mm-hmm. choose a track that is stylistically in the ballpark, right? And if you're producing a metal track, perhaps don't reference the latest pop mix, right, for for the overall thing, right? It could sound glorious, but it might not be appropriate, right? So you choose something that you like and vice versa. If you're doing an R&B track, Uh right, don't listen for how Andy Sneap deals with his kick drums in the latest metal album, you know, (laughs) because it could be interesting, but it's probably going to sound a little bit out of place. Sure. So choosing that, but like you said, also it could be the idea of the low end in a particular song, like mm-hmm. you said, is really, really cool. How do they achieve that? Going through the ranges here, you've got mid-range songs. The, the songs are great in the mid-range and others that are really great in the high end. Sure. And sometimes they have all those factors. And that's kind of what we're going for, really, isn't that's it? That's the right? hope anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we're choosing a track like this and it's, It should be repeated again that your goal, in my opinion anyway, isn't necessarily to recreate that track, but just to kind of keep yourself going in the right direction. If you're working on getting your snare sound and you realize that you're completely out of the ballpark of this, recalibrate your ears and go back to the reference track and see, okay, this is kind of where it needs to be sitting for this track and try to get it there. It's not a recreation, but it's corralling everything to where it's supposed to be. (laughs) And speaking of actually corralling a snare drum, I have decided to play around with some of the new toys that I got Mm -hmm. by remixing an old song from my catalog. Right. In doing so, I was rethinking the snare, applying some of the things that I've now done in the 10 plus years since I did that. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear how much different the energy is compared to the original version of that mix to what it's developing into right now. Yeah. And I'm kind of taking people through the process on social media with Instagram and TikTok with it, but I'm not delving into the super nerdy with it. I'm just showing stages of the mix. Gotcha. And it's interesting. So, But do you think that, though, when we go back and do things, mm-hmm. obviously there are sort of the taste in music and everything changes over time. Like different sensibilities are hip at a certain point, right? Yeah. What's your thought on the importance of retaining 
that, this sort of integrity of the song the way it was intended, as opposed to just renewing a mix and making it modern. Because I think you, you might lose the baby with the bathwater, as it were, right, if you change it too much. Well, in my mind, I'm doing this more as an exercise to learn new tools. Yeah, more no, I, than I, I am that, to but, like but change the song. And for me, I probably didn't know enough at the time that I did it originally. Oh, fair enough. To really push it. And I'm I'm not talking George Lucas tinkering with the imaging of Star Wars type <laughs> of tinkering. I'm still using the original sounds. I'm still using the original performances. I'm just doing a new mix with new sensibility to it. And already, just even with the drums, as you mentioned the drums, mm. there's a different life to the quality of the groove with the way I've arranged it and pushed it now. That was yeah. always there. Right. I just didn't highlight it appropriately when it was originally done. And right. it has a lot to do also with the sensibility of what was I thinking at that time? I didn't make notes. My sensibility now is I'm trying to serve the song better. And that's probably what my sensibility was then. But my sensibility of what served the song was different then than it is now. Eventually, I made get done with it and either hate it or I might love it and I might re-release it as a single. The idea is, is that just the snare alone is changed in its quality already. Yeah. And that's just from some EQ tweaks, using a different concept to the mix because back then it was the dry signal not going through much of anything except for maybe a little bit of compression. And right. this time around, there's no compression on it, but there's EQ and it's also going through an API console emulation from Luna. So th there's some there's, mojo going there's on There's mojo there. going on yeah. from new tools. And I'm learning yeah. those tools by taking something that I already know quite well, so to speak. Yeah. And I'm creating my own reference to myself in a sense. And that's narcissistic in a way. But that's not the well, point of doing it. it. The point of doing it is to learn the tools. And what better way to learn your tools than to rehash something you've already done? I right. don't mean to do it for my entire back catalog in terms of, or pulling out other artists, other material, because then that's not fair to them. For me, on my end, I'm pulling it out to learn my own tools. And there are new tools, and I'm learning those minute differences compared to the tools that I already know. And I'm just expanding my knowledge base in doing it. I'm doing it in a way that I hope improves what I've already done. Yeah. Well, that's a good way of doing it. I mean, learning new stuff. Mm -hmm. Like you said, pulling out some of your own things and see, okay, well, let's see, let's get our hands dirty and see what we can do with this now. And I've done that in the past as well, where, and it's, this is a little bit off topic, but it can be really revealing when you open up a new session or an old session, I'm sorry, of a track that you did X amount of years ago. And almost all the time you get like, oh my God, what was I thinking? Exactly. You know, I could do this so much better now, right? Um, and with thinking about what was I thinking, let's take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. I have a question for you, Chris, because I kind of cut you off there, but. That's okay. Do you use reference tracks? And if so, we actually kind of already know the answer to that one, but what are the particular ones that you tend to gravitate towards most? Well, I have a list that I've made for myself of different tracks if I'm working in a certain style or mixes that I think sound really, really good. Mm -hmm. So I do have a lot more 
on my list that then just out of courtesy to you, I'm not going to mention all of them. <laughs> Come on. But, but let's say- Enlighten like, the let, listeners. Well, I will, but I'm How not going to How long is it? Up. Is it more than 20? It's about 20. Yeah. Oh, that's but, a lot. Maybe uh, let's cut it to 10. No, I'll, I'll do a few. I'll, I'll do like, let's say I'm doing a metal track, mm-hmm. which is for sake of argument. I will pull out something that Andy Sneap did. Okay. And the one that I have on my track is Arch Enemies Nemesis. Ooh. Wow, it's an Andy Sneap track. So what do you want? It's going to sound great, right? If I'm doing something that's not as heavy, but it's still a rock track, I might go from something by Muse or, mm. yeah. you know, like a Chris Lord Algae, like a Green Day track or something that, especially like the period of 21st century breakdown or something, mm-hmm. uh, or American Idiot, they're just great sounding records. Right. If I'm doing something more on the pop side, which I have a project that I'm involved with that we do a little bit more on the pop side stuff. I'll probably pull out some some U2 things and it could be there be something like where the streets have no name or mm-hmm. even more experimental, like even better than the real thing from Achtung Baby, something like that. Gotcha. But, you know, anything with Mott Lang is going to work <laughs> great as well. Like anything, you know, like Def Leppard or even like some of the Shania Twain stuff. Sure. And then I have other things that I do for more experimental things, but I think that's probably enough. So gotcha. What about you? What What are some of the tracks that you pull up? You've been teasing one here with the low well, end. the so low end one. That? There's a couple actually when I think about it. But let's start off with the fact that if I'm trying to get used to a room, the first thing I'm going to throw on is either anything by Jellyfish or Peter Gabriel's Red Rain. Ooh, the, yes. The combination of anything Jellyfish and the song Red Rain from Peter Gabriel just covers the gamut right there. And Red Rain is such a beautiful song, but it's a great recalibration of the ears song for me in a listening environment. Not to mention now frequency spectrum. Yeah, frequency spectrum. spectrum, And on top of that, that also has a really great low end, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Tony Franklin with his bass on that is pretty ridiculous. However, going back to the concept of what you just asked, what is this song that has got to this amazing bass? And it is a song called Tulips by an artist. I think he goes by a single name, just Christopher. But maybe there's a last name and I don't remember what it is. But it's Tulips. And it's not like the word two and lips. It's Tulips like the flower. Mm-hmm. And that particular song in it has this just rich, amazing bass line and bass sound in it. And it is like, wow, that is the pen ultimate to me of really awesome bass. I believe it's a synthesizer playing it. It also sounds like it's layered with some live bass. So it's hard to know. And that's why I'm, I'm not thinking, familiar with the track. I'm going to You're going to have to listen to it because when you hear it yep. and you've got a good sounding room of bass, that song just knocks your socks off. It is so nice. Going down my list, though, of just referencing various things, Colors by Halsey is Mm. another really good song for referencing on a sonic spectrum. Love Yourself by Justin Bieber. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a great sounding song. New Rules by Dua Lipa is another recent Mm. song that has just great sonic character to it. There's another one in the pop realm that I will go with called Sit Still Look Pretty by Daya or Daya. I don't know how to pronounce that name. 
if I'm thinking a little bit more Britpop, I'm going to go with Speakerphone by Rixton. Okay. And if I'm thinking almost R&B-ish on the pop side, I'm looking at Want You to Want Me by Jason Derulo, not the I Want You to Want Me from Cheap Trick, although that's a great song too. So, (laughs) But Jason Derulo has a song called Want You to Want Me, and that's a really just... That also has a great low end as well, but the vocals on that one in particular, if you want a vocal lesson on mixing vocals, Want You to Want Me by Jason Derulo is like really insane. And then there's a song... That I have a awesome, feeling we could talk about these songs for a long time. Probably could. And then yeah. there's a song also that I tend to use that is going to be reminiscent of a title from the 90s, and it's called Waterfalls, but it's not from TLC, which was Waterfall, yeah. I think. This is Waterfalls, plural, and it's by The Wildlife, which I believe that's how you pronounce it because they don't have the I in wild or life. That song also has a really nice quality to it. And beyond that, cool. if, if mixing for somebody else and they have something that's specifically in mind, hmm. I'll ask yeah. them for three or four references of what they're doing, and then I'll pull those in and use them for their project. Right. Unless they give right. me no reference, and then, of course, I'm free to do whatever I please. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Now, just to round off that subject, if I go into a different room uh-huh. and I'm listening to something, I always pull up a Rammstein track. <laughs> yeah. One of the more modern- That just doesn't sound right. I'm well, going to ram my ears with Rammstein. <laughs> yes. And, and preferably something later, um, Rammstein. Because again, it's like, it's so full and rich and right. everything is great separation usually. So that's another one. But maybe we'll make a list of this and put it on the website of some of the- Wouldn't be a bad idea. Tracks. I think we talked about actual examples now what to listen for and all this kind of stuff. But what about technically to go around this? How do you set up your listening tracks? Do you just pull up like Spotify and listen or or what do you do? Well, no, I don't just pull up Spotify and listen. I have copies of these songs. You buy the wave file from a CD, so to speak, or you can what the hell is a CD? Yeah, or well, I wouldn't reference it from vinyl at this point, even though vinyl apparently has outsold CDs over the holidays, thanks to Taylor Swift. Nothing wrong with that. I created versions of each of these songs, and I use them specifically only for this in terms of referencing. And I do not technically route them through the master bus, so to speak. Good idea. Mm-hmm. I have them set up on a plugin that allows me to turn them on and off. And it sits on the master bus if I need it to be there. So I can switch it and switch it back, switch it, switch it back, listen, listen back kind of thing. I don't run the reference track through any kind of processing. So it has to be the last thing on the bus when I'm doing it. Right. That's a given. The other thing that I do And this is something that people need to be very conscious about. If you're listening to a mastered mix, the volume level on it is not the volume you're going for with your mix. I can't stress that enough. I use an isotope plugin called Insight. And Mm -hmm. I reference the track through Insight to know what its volume level is. And then I take that and reduce the volume to where I want my target volume on my mix. 
which is right. usually about minus 18. That gives me the headroom for all the streaming services. Apple at minus 16, Spotify at minus 14, and the idea of stupid whatever, loud at minus 10 or minus yeah. 9 for CDs right. and whatever for that stuff. That gives you that range. And it that's the smartest thing you can do when you're listening to the reference mix is pull the volume down so that the reference mix is at the same target volume of where you're going. Yeah. Comparing apples to apples, essentially. because Well, volume to volume. Boy, yes. Because otherwise, you're obviously, you're, you're shooting for a target that you're not going to reach. Exactly. Right? Sort of like level-wise. And, and also, your ears will not get adjusted to that going back and forth because you constantly have to recalibrate for like level, and then it's, it's just a mess. So yeah. the level matching is really important. Now, I would say if you're not using a dedicated plugin, I am as well, by the way. I use a dedicated plugin. I use Adapters Metric AB. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that. Which... Yeah, and it's it's really good, and this does all the the level matching and stuff for you. Oh, that's awesome! Several, yeah, that makes that process a little bit easier. But even if you're not doing that, and you're of the habit of perhaps pulling a track into your session mm-hmm. as a reference, obviously, I would recommend not running that through your master bus if you have processing on right. the master bus, because then you're overcooking this this reference track. Well, you're changing the concept of what the reference track is. Exactly. So that's something to keep in mind. You mentioned you're using Adapter AB by Metric, I guess. I'm using Ozone. Mm. So if you have, and I don't know if it comes in every version of Ozone, so don't take this as gospel. I have the full-blown version of Ozone. And in there on the lower right-hand side is a little button called Reference. And if you push that button, it changes Ozone's output and its interface to where you can add all the reference tracks you want. (laughs) And and then when you push that button, it immediately switches over to the reference track you have highlighted in Ozone and turns off whatever's coming through Ozone to the – output bus, which is why if I'm using it, uh, it's on my output bus and I'm only using ozone, right? Yeah. Because it's going through there. I'm not processing anything through ozone. I'm just using it for the go-through of the reference tracks and the mix. I don't tend to use things on my master bus, but we've discussed that in a previous episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I do. And as a lot of people do, but it's important to keep in mind that just that you're bypassing that or routing your track to perhaps like a listening bus Mm -hmm. that goes through a different output if you can route your monitoring to that. But that's something to keep in mind because that will alter your reference dramatically if you have any kind of processing going on there. You got any final thoughts on this stuff? I do. We've kind of touched on a few of them anyway, but again, when you're using an official release as your reference track, you're listening to a mastered track. So keep that in mind. The, The level thing there is the most important. And even if you're not pulling it into your DAW and you have some special plugin to do that, if you're just listening to Apple Music or Spotify or if you have the the file on your hard drive, make sure you level match it because yes. that that is the big, most important thing, deal. I think. Yes. Yeah. What about you? Don't be too tied to the reference. You're just using yep. it as your ballpark reference. Dun, yeah. dun, 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 your guide, yes. That's yeah. essentially what it is. And I'm not going to go any further with that. Just don't be too tied down to it. Don't get married to your reference. 
Yeah. And the last thought I would say, kind of like what George had advised me early on, this kind of goes without saying, but if you listen to lots of music in your room and you know what songs you like the sound of, and obviously they, if they're released, they're going to translate well to other systems, other environments. Listening to a lot of music in the style that you're working or not, it's just going to inform your ears about what good mixes sound like. Damn so, straight. And with can't that, go along with that. Let's move on to our Friday finds. What do you got with us, Chris? I rewatched something on the YouTubes the this YouTubes. week. It is a uh, producer, dance producer type of guy. Mm -hmm. uh, goes by the artist name of AU5. Audio and Unit 5? <laughs> no comment. He was one of the producers invited by Andrew Wang several years ago now where they had four producers, one sample. It was like a series where the premise of it was that they had one sample to work with that they had to create a track out of. Mm. So that people know if you're unfamiliar with it, this was a door squeak. Oh, like, boy. Here you go. Here's your sample. Mm -hmm. Create a track out of that. And the video that I was watching him by AU5, he breaks down the track and how he did this. It is both mind-blowing and really inspiring at the same time because here's a guy that has a completely different workflow and mindset of what I do and probably you as well. Mm -hmm. And just to see them work and how to think about music, how to think about frequency and really using the tools that you have to create a track out of something like that. And it doesn't sound like a track that is just made out of a freaking door squeak. <laughs> it sounds like a full-blown track. Right. And uh, that was super inspiring and still is to me after, I think it's like three or four years old now, the video there for AU5 was run down of the song that he did for for producers one sample. Cool. So what do you got? I'm going with something musical, something technical, and something kind of crazy. A guy named Simon Passmore, also on the YouTubes, <laughs> as you put it, has recreated the Star Wars theme. I'm talking the original Star Wars. Right. Star Wars theme entirely in Logic Pro using sample libraries. And I don't believe he used any of the Logic Pro samples, but he has a bunch of sample libraries, recreated it all, did a video on it on YouTube. And it is pretty darn amazing how awesome it sounds. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like the London Symphony Orchestra played this in his bedroom. Kind of thing. That's cool. Yes. Yeah, that's very cool. That is my choice for this week's Friday Find. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the phrase references, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to talk about or explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. 
Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you later, Jody.